0: And it is Jesus that makes today truly glorious. Welcome to the Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church. We are so glad to have you with us this morning. Today, we will see more of the character qualities of the Old Testament law from Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 14. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott our sin nature, when coupled with the good,
1: useful, and active law of God, it, it promotes in our flesh sin. Not the law's problem. Our problem. So we're seeing the two characteristics so far of God's holy law is that it's useful and that it's active. But there's a third thing. The law is holy. The law is holy. That makes sense because only a holy God Omni holy God, all holy God, all that he could ever give to Israel is a holy law. He's a holy God. So the law he gives is a holy law. Verses nine to 12. Vast majority of this passage today. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Oh, yes, God's law is holy because God is holy, and he gave us a holy law. The problem is not with the law. Holy births holy. Holy God birthed a holy law. A holy God cannot simply put together a less than a holy set of laws. And the fact is that God's holy law reveals and proves God's holy character. He is a holy God who is given a holy law. God is without error, so he cannot breathe out a Bible that has error. That's inspiration. In the same way, God is holy, so he could not give anything unholy by way of his law when he gave it first to Moses. And so, given that all of God's law is holy, who does the law judge? Who does the law condemn? Uh, that's easy. That would be everybody. God's holy law judges all of us because we're all sinners. God's holy law condemns all of us if we're not in Christ because we are sinners. Every human being ever born to date, every human being being born today in the hospital, every human being that ever will be born, every human being except the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, every human being is a sinner. And therefore, God's holy law condemns everyone. And ignorance of God's law may in some quarters be seen as a manner of bliss. You've heard it, ignorance is bliss. But education about God's law brings realization of our ugly sins. And education about God's law brings a realization that we're ugly sinners. Let me tell you about toddlers. I've had two that are no longer toddlers by any stretch of the imagination. This is the toddler's creed. If I want it, it's mine. If I give it to you and change my mind later, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If it's mine and it never belongs to anyone else, no matter what. If we are building something together, all the pieces are mine, and if it looks just like mine, it is mine. That's the toddler's creed. And the holy law of God, given from a holy God to a planet of rebels who are sinners, the holy law of God points out just how much we're like toddlers. Me, me, no, me, mine, give back. Ah. So let's review. The problem is not with God's law. The problem is with how we can respond to it because we have flesh. We've seen so far that God's law is useful. God's law is active. God's law is holy. But the fourth thing is, the law is a lethal weapon. The law is a lethal weapon. Verse 13, therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, the law of sin and death, not Moses' law. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. The law of God is a lethal weapon in the sense that it condemns us. We can't keep it. And we can't say, I kept it more than her, because I didn't keep it 100%, 100% of the time, and no one did except Jesus. Jesus. And so the law is a lethal weapon in the sense that it condemns us. And so if the law reveals our sin, and if the law provokes our sinning, and if the law condemns us, then isn't the law some kind of a murderer? That's the question of verse 13. That is the question of verse 13. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. The question is, if the law reveals sin, if the law provokes sinning, if the law condemns us, then isn't the law some kind of a murderer? And the answer is no. The law in no way, shape, or form is the cause of damnation. Rather, our own sin natures, our flesh, are the cause of our sinning. And it is for unatoned for sins which cause our separation from holy God, which can be a forever separation in a real place the Bible calls hell. So what I'm saying is whether you know Christ as your savior this morning or you don't, and you know you don't, there are two ways that sin can be paid for. Either Jesus Christ's sufficient and complete blood sacrifice on the cross, you allow that to pay for your sins that the law reveals, or you will say, I go it alone. I'll take my chances. I'll live religious. Those are the two options. If you choose to go it alone, please be advised that you will have to pay the debt you owe to God for your sins forever with a conscious torment in hell. When you die, it's not over. There's a resurrection to life, and there's a resurrection to judgment. Take Christ as Savior while you have time. You don't know that you have tomorrow. We might not be here next week. Take Christ as Savior. Repent of sin. Turn to him wholeheartedly to him in faith. Accept his finished work on the cross as being your remedy for your sin problem. Believe he rose from the dead. Trust him. He's your only hope. He's your only hope. Now please stay with me. The law is a weapon which is used by the principle of sin to spiritually kill us. The law which is good turns into a weapon when the outfit that set up a military base of operation within us prompts our flesh, our sin nature to sin. And that's what is the problem. And so verse 13 again, therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting death through that which is good.
0: But through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to talk about what it means to be a price follower. And Jesus himself changed the world when he used two words. And he said, follow me. And I want you to just think for a second and ask yourself, what comes to your mind when you think of the words, follow me? Some people will just be followers and they'll just follow a person without asking any questions. Some people will ask a question if if I ask you to follow me somewhere, you may say to yourself, Well, where am I going to follow you? What am I doing? You know, I can think of times driving in the United States where we we tell someone to follow us, but yet the person who we are supposed to be following, they may speed up and they may run, run past a red light where we can get across and now we're stuck. But as we consider and we think of those examples, we can consider that when Jesus says to follow him. This is greater than any other person to call to follow. And we want to just look and consider this morning, Matthew chapter 4, as we consider what Jesus, as Jesus called his first disciples. And when we consider what a disciple, the disciple is a follower, a follower of Jesus. This is what Matthew four eighteen and 22 says, while walking by the sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat. Their father followed them. And we see... Two different examples here. We see, first of all, Simon his brother Andrew. And we need to consider what Jesus is doing. Jesus didn't go out and look for the doctors of the society. He didn't look for the rich. He didn't look for those who, you know, who we would consider. Well, the, he wants the, the best person who makes the most money. No, he chose fishermen. And in those days, fishermen were low people who were working hard, doing what the best they can, and they would cast their nets to catch fish. And this is why Jesus goes to them and he says, look, I don't want you to fish for fish anymore. I want you to fish for men. He recognized that, you know what? They understood the whole concept of fishing. So now I, don't want, I want you to change your focus from fishing for fish and fish for men. You see, Jesus called each one of us, whether we're young, whether we're older, whatever age we're he has called us as followers of him to, to say, you know what? I want to follow Christ and I want to do what I can to bring others to Christ. We also need to notice in verse 20. As we consider when Jesus talked to these Simon and Andrew, he said this, that immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, these guys didn't didn't say, well, you know, we need to think about this or come back to me in five minutes or come to me back another day. No, immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, they understood that Jesus was the Messiah. They understood that Jesus was the man who they wanted to follow. And they didn't ask no questions. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. But we also see another example here as we consider in Matthew 20, Matthew four twenty one. It says, that, And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, and mend their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You see, we have a different example here as we consider James and John. Because we see that they're there with their father. We see that they're with their dad. And as Jesus says to them, Follow me, we notice that they did not ask their dad, Well, dad, what should we do? Should we go and follow Jesus or what should we do? No, the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says that they did not even consult their dad. They recognized that they had to follow Jesus above whatever their dad may have said. And this is what we need to understand in our own lives. And I'm not, this morning, I want to make it very clear to you as a young person as you're listening to this broadcast. That you are not supposed to disrespect your mom or dad. But we need to understand that we need to obey Jesus Christ above our parents. Because Jesus has a great plan for your life. And Jesus has a better plan for even than your parents may have. And you may be listening to this as a, a parent and you may be saying to yourself, well, you know, Pastor Nicholas, what are you trying to do? What are you talking about? But we need to understand that as parents, we need to know what's best for our kids' lives. And the best thing for our kids' lives is not what we want, but it's what God wants. You see, in society today, we teach our kids that we want to be successful. We want to make the most money. We want to do this thing and that thing. But the reality is that God may be calling some of our own kids to the ministry, to the mission field. And we need to understand that even in the ministry and the mission field, that person is not going to make a lot of money. They're not going to do the things that, that we would expect for them to become a doctor, a lawyer. But we need to understand that above all of that, we cannot put a dollar value on following Christ. Because that's, as a teenager, that's what we want for each one of our kids to do, is to follow Christ. You see, what happens today in our society is this, and we, in our culture today, we see so many things happening with our young people. But we have to ask ourselves as parents that sometimes it falls on us. Because what we have done as our kids are growing up in in the church, we have basically told our kids that, you know what? I want you to not go to this church activity or participate in church because... I need you to get good grades so you get that scholarship. And we have put education above whatever God may want for our kids' lives. And then we wonder when our kids come off from college or they go to college and they, their minds get twisted with other religions and different things, we wonder why. It's because of us. It's because we haven't pushed our kids in the same way in, in following Christ as we have pushed them in following what the world is, is telling them to do or what we want them to do in their education. You see, we need to recognize that as Christ followed as parents, we are going to set an example for our kids. You know, I have a daughter and, and, and you know, I pray that, what, that even as I get older, that whatever God calls her to, I will accept that because that's what we should all want. We should not want our to write the plan for our kids' lives, but we should want God to reveal his plan to our kids' lives. And we should let God just show them exactly what it is he has for them. You see, I know of stories where parents have discouraged their kids from going into the ministry because, again, they look at it as not a high-paying job or a successful person. But the reality is when we follow Christ, we're doing what is right. We're doing the best thing that we possibly can do. You see, going back to what we're talking about with, as we consider when our kids come back from college and they come back and they don't want nothing to do with church. As a parent, we need to look ourselves in the mirror and say, "What have we done to help that? Have we told our kids at a, at an age, as they come into the church now, we told them that Sunday school isn't important, or you know, joining this orchestra in the church is not important, or this thing, but you can join any other orchestra that you want." The reality is, is that we need to show them, and we need to show that by example that you know, before you can go into those different musical things or whatever it may be that I want you to participate in church, because that is the example that you need to see. They need to see that God is placed first above the worldly things. And you know what? In the world, we may get more credit. We may get more praise. But the reality is in our own lives, as we consider talking about following Christ, we're not about the praise of man. We're about the praise of God. And when we follow Him, we do what we can for Him. That's the most important praise that we could ever get from our Father who is in heaven. I want to challenge you as as parents that we would prioritize again what it truly means to follow Christ, and our kids will see that in each of our lives. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I want to thank you for listening to you talk.
0: It's time now for today's personal God story.
1: Well, this morning in our radio studio, we have uh, Duet and Sally Simonette. Hi. Good morning again. Good morning. Good morning. Boy, it's been good to have a, a, a chat with both of you, and hear uh, quite an amazing story that's going to get more amazing. And some of our listeners have been following all of this with interest and they're building in their anticipation. Others may have just joined us this morning for the first time. Basically, uh, what's happened in the story is that uh, Sally and DeWitt married young, had problems in their marriage, uh, sought some kind of relief in a, a court, court issued some kind of thing other than a divorce saying they had freedom to remarry um they both did remarry and uh sally's marriage was worse than uh, her first but uh, she forgave her husband and led him to christ for salvation just before he died and then dewitt last time we were letting you talk about um the circumstances leading up to what happened next in your story which involved uh Meeting someone who was kind to you, and uh, although Sally was always your first love of your heart, you never forgot her, and still in my heart. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, yeah. So you you married a different person.
3: Yes. What was that? What was that marriage like? Oh, that marriage was a marriage of jealousy. Jealousy. Yes. Can you expand on that a bit? Jealousy. It's not a kind. Thing. No, it isn't. I think they say jealousy is next to the grave or serious as the grave. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to be in with someone and um, they don't trust you, or they see you talking to someone, you will not be talking to even someone, just look at someone. Their, their mind is telling them, and if you tell them you go in one place, They'll say okay but they'll the uh, uh they'll come and they'll scout all of a sudden they'll scout to see if you uh where you said it when you on suspicion yeah yeah so uh, um my um, I, I, I i i see jealousy more becoming like when you lost all the self esteem you lost your self esteem yeah and, yeah. and you are looking for uh, looking for it and um you can't find it right there could be some people listening some persons listening
1: this morning who are jealous and they think they have a good reason to be jealous but really it's a sin isn't it it's yeah. to mistrust someone and to always presume evil yes. is is not godly and it's something only jesus can fix yes but uh so the marriage, you said, was the marriage of jealousy. Um, how long did it last?
3: I'll say, did uh, the, the marriage last about 18 years? 18 years. Yes, 18, 18 19, let's say 20 years. 20 years. Of course, of course. sometimes you could be in the house, and you're just living there, but, but it's like you're not married. Okay, so the, the whole time
1: was maybe 20 years. That's a long time to feel... A low self-esteem because the other person is jealous of you, and uh, really, a person who's jealous also has a low self-esteem because in, they're not secure
0: right.
1: in in uh, receiving person's commitment and love. Um, so, how did
3: that uh, marriage end? Well, um, again, I want to ask for forgiveness. And, and uh, ask if there's something I've done wrong or whatever it is. Tell me, and um, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, and um, no, this 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 answer was, uh, um, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going. To, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to forgive you. Hmm. Which, of course, at the end of the, um, I really found out what it was it wasn't it was it was not it was it was not love to start with it was convenience convenience boy that's a that's a problem that many
1: people have that they have the wrong motives for getting married they don't have a a love interest in the person or a respect for the person or a commitment to the person but they just think they can advance themselves Mm. in some way convenience that's serious um so your wife um did she take sick or how
3: did she die Well um when 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 she died um um I was not with her Okay you were separated Yes and so you're not exactly sure maybe how she died um, actually, I mean, um, uh, my daughter, she she died from cancer.
1: She had cancer? She died from
3: cancer, yeah. So um,
1: what were you feeling at that time?
3: Uh, at that time, Pastor, what had happened was, um, at that time, I had been relieved. See, um, what happens is, um, some parents, they, they, they put children in the conversations, mm-hmm. which is bad, which never should, should happen. Mm-hmm. And let's say, if you're going to tell the children something, don't tell them a half-truth. Tell them the whole truth or say nothing at all. Right. Good advice. So uh, I, I was a person strict. A strict Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, my children came to me, and of well, course, you know, the fathers be the last they come to anyhow. Always go to the mother, and mom say it's okay, you know, and blah blah blah. I don't know what your father's gonna say. So they say, well, they want not go to the mall, or go someplace. I say, well, who are you going with? What the purpose? And if it didn't fit uh, my satisfaction, I'll say no. And if I said no. I don't have to give you any explanation. No, because, because you're he's a dad. A child. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the children then, uh, the mother would say to them, the children, when they were disappointed, look like everybody in the world is dead and go and left them. But the mother would say to them, you know, it's not me who's stopping, it's your father who's stopping you from going and always making me look like I was the uh, the um you know, the bad fellow and you no. Know, Thanks to God. But the reason why I didn't let my children go, because I knew some of the children which uh, they went with, and it was not good. It's okay to be schoolmates, but after school, you don't have to be mates. Yes, so
1: you're talking about a few things there. You're talking about the tendency of children to work one parent against the other. Mm -hmm. You're talking about... um, uh, parents including children and in conversations that should only be between parents right uh so these were some of the problems in in uh, your marriage to this other yes. individual yes she died of cancer and um in the in the times you were married to other people d- did you
3: ever think about each other i told you even though all the time I was married she was always there in my heart she was in your heart yes yes i, I mean I, I mean she was always there because um I, I knew even though I was running from God, you were running from God, no. yes, it's like when David said, his soul went all about the city asking the watchman of the city, where is he that keeps you know it's like uh, 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 uh no once you once you're truly converted you 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 uh, it's not easy you 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 i mean you you get whip.
1: In other words, when we run against God as a born-again Christian, he loves us enough to spank us. Yes, he does. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Sally, when, you, uh, uh, when your husband died, and, and did you have uh, thoughts about DeWitt? Yes. You did. What kind of thoughts did you have?
0: Well, I,
3: <clears throat> like I said, I tried calling him, but I didn't get through to him. I didn't know his number, but I, was, uh, I just asked all his nieces who I knew. And I've, I didn't, I, you know, they just said they didn't know where he was at that time. So. Let's,
1: you know what? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Let's put a semicolon here again. Okay. Next time we'll continue in the next uh, broadcast. Sure. Oh, thanks. Oh, that, yeah. Sure. Let's say, uh, let's say uh, goodbye to one another for now, and we'll get back to recording in a few
0: uh, days. Okay. 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 You have been listening to The Echoes of Calvary a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 10.30 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. The protocols for this gathering are available on our website at calvarybible.org.bs. You can also receive these protocols by phone, Tuesday or Wednesday, 9 a.m. to noon, by calling 326 0800. You may also access the live stream of this morning service today at calvarybible.org.bs or on Facebook at CBC Body. This service will be aired at 10.30 a.m. and replayed at 6 p.m. for your convenience. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com That's EOC radio at gmail.com or write us at PO Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs the Savior.